1: SLA and Spare Time Bowling Show, only on one oh five seven, FM the fan. It's a two hour show, folks. It's not every week gonna be two hours, but it's two hours this week. You know how woo! big of a show this is? That first of all. <laughs> you gotta that's, give a Rick Flair woo out there. Yes, that's that's Dwight. Uh Bill <laughs> here. Do you know how big of a show it was this week, Phil? There is. Yeah. It's such a big show that Dwight beat you into the parking know, lot this week. I know, and he was flying into the lot. That's insane. I, I swear, took out Tom Clark. I right. swear you
2: were up on two wheels turning the corner.
1: So I pull in right behind Tom Clark, commissioner of the PBA Tour. Again, showing you how big of a show this is this week. I put a request in for Tom Clark for 10 35 mm-hmm. you know. On the phone. Be fine. Right. He's like, hey, can I come in? I was like, sure, if you want to come in. Whenever you want. I pull in. There's Tom Clark in the parking lot. I was like, all right, come on in, dude. And then Dwight almost took out Tom Clark. Right. That would have been a tragic <laughs> end to a great PBA season. It really would have been. And it would have happened on our show. Uh, okay, so uh, let's get to a, a couple things since we had the commissioner in studio. When he got out of his car, I was like, so do you just walk on air now? When right. When you walk exactly. in, into the studio. And he's like, "Ah, oh, whatever. He's like, I still hear from people on social media that complain. So I've got to know for for me personally like what are the complaints that people have about this product right now cuz I've got to I've got to know I'm here for you what are uh, what what are people complaining about now Uh man just
3: you name it you know I mean first of all it's I I couldn't wait to talk about the World Series because it was an awesome week and man I couldn't wait to go bowling I went bowling with my son yesterday and uh, you know because I was just pum- I'm just pumped up about the game and everything that we've seen so they really, you know, it doesn't really matter what people say. But the, you name it, we were on in prime time. You should be on, and uh, you should be on earlier. It's too late for kids. Uh, you should,
1: here's too the pr- late for kids. It started at seven o'clock.
3: I know. I, I actually was joking around with one of the. I didn't. I didn't joke around with the person. I. I just kind of mocked him and actually replied, which I should never do, but. But, you know, I said, well, it was 5 o'clock on the West Coast, so maybe we got the West Coast kids, you know. Meanwhile, the NCAA basketball national championship game will be on at 9 o'clock and start about 920 you know, in a couple of weeks. I mean, you know, every right. sport is at night. <laughs>
1: every sport is so, at night.
3: I know, the Bucks. they better play all their games in the day. We good. have been begging
1: but, for prime time. We've been begging <laughs> for weeknight prime time forever on you know, this it, show. The,
3: we do, there are a lot of decisions and a lot of things that happen with every single element of the game, and each one of them you can second-guess. You can second-guess. Lane conditions, formats. Sure. You can second guess uh, who does well in tournaments. You can say, you can second guess how the trophy is handed to the player, when it is, uh, how long the show is, uh, where you're bowling. You know, there's two. You know, the lane, the 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 topography. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. Every single thing is debatable, and social media just makes it a lot easier to take the other side. Sometimes, I mean, but I will say again. There's been more positive than we've ever experienced uh, this year. Most people are really thrilled, and and you know what? Social media is great in that way too, in that it gives people an outlet to say how much they appreciate it and thank you. And I've gotten more of that this year, you know, which again is is also a, it's kind of a double-edged sword in a way because man, we've we're all the same people, and we've been doing the same stuff for a long time, and and getting to this point was actually even harder than what we're doing now, and uh, so it's nice to see people say thank you and, and appreciate it, but uh, they should know, man, it's, it's been a grind for everybody involved, including the players, uh, all these years.
2: The fans in Detroit were insane all week. I mean, Portland's got their work cut off from mm-hmm. coming up in uh, April, May, June. <laughs> yeah, but they do because you, you watch the energy that was on those shows. Dick Allen said Every that. single night. And it was that way in, in the it – was, it was a little thin in the morning squads, Obviously, when we were doing qualifying and flow bowling. But those evening squads that one night where Norm and Walter Ray are crossing next to each other and they just have this whole group of fans and bowlers are actually turning around laughing, enjoying it because everybody's cheering on Norm and Walter Ray, this whole group, and they just kind of follow them <laughs> for a couple of games. It was awesome, and, and it's good to see that fan energy back where you know nobody's got to force it. It was there.
3: You mentioned Maine. I was just in Maine about six or seven days ago. I went for a promotional event to promote the playoffs that are coming up there, and that was something that uh, the proprietor at the bowling center said to all the people there was that, hey, I'm watching TV every week, and all the other crowds around the country have taken note of what we did, and they are bringing the noise, and we're going to have to step it up to still be the number one. So, yeah, you, you hit on it.
1: Yeah. Okay, so well, let me ask you uh, this before we get to the World Series bowling and all this other stuff. You've been in Iran since what year? When did you start?
3: Uh, with the PBA 2008, so it's 10, more than 10 years now. The sport is the healthiest since when? I mean that's debatable. You know, I I think I think that when the new PBA came in in uh, the new ownership in 2000, they really invested a lot into the game themselves. And so for a a period of years there, from about 2001 to 2005, I'd say it it was stupid money. It was healthy because of the money. ESPN was a little bit more behind it, so I'd say that that era right there was 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 pretty good. You know, from a from a fan standpoint, I'm not sure. It may, have, may be earlier than that, and and maybe even early early 90s. I think from a total vibe standpoint, but those early 2000s were strong.
1: Okay, so then in 2000 and you said 2000 to 2005. So what essentially happened before you took over?
3: Well, you know, I, I think that 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 level of investment from the ownership group started to wane. They looked at they started looking at 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 uh, the the bottom line and 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 looking at the bottom line the things like the recession didn't help i mean 2008 was tough for everybody right and everything kind of took a dip and we had to make it work financially you know on our own as as a pba and and also i think that our relationship with our media partners um was not as exciting as it is now because we have a new fresh partnership so that kind of waned. but i would never Uh, you know, rip our relationship with ESPN. That was strong, and ESPN is a great network. It's the number one sports network, and being on that network was strong for bowling all those years. So when you hear people now say, well, with Fox, you know, it's their energy towards the game, Fox's investment in the game, it coming from an outside party, not the ownership of the PBA, it makes a big difference right now, and that's why you see this sort of electricity re And rejuvenation right now because we were able to have a package that was attractive to a partner that would invest in it themselves.
1: But there's a big difference. I mean, with all due respect to ESPN, um, they didn't give you the opportunity to do what you just did with the World Series of Bowling and go, you know, five straight weeknights on primetime TV. They didn't you never had that opportunity, and part of that is because of their other commitments to other sports that they had to do and that they were locked into financially or whatever else. So I understand why they couldn't let you do that, but I'm telling you right now, man, Rami, who was the host of this show, and I told the story in the how he's at Kyle Troop on whatever else, so we, I had dinner with him last night. He was in town for the Bucks game, and he's going back uh, this morning, and I said, oh, man, big two-hour bowling show tomorrow, and he's like, two hours? What happened? <laughs> And I said, "Hey man, I said they've been on every night this week." He's like, "They've never done that before." I said, "No, I "I remember World Series of Bowling in Vegas. You go there." He's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Well, now Fox Sports One." I said, "They're going every single night." Now I gotta think, from a rating standpoint, and I don't know what they are, and I'm assuming you probably have a better idea than I do. From a number standpoint, that has to be a hell of a lot better than showing a taped show, which people don't know it's taped unless you're a Facebook junkie or something and want to find out what happened, but. Most people don't know that one way or the other, but those numbers had to be much better than what you were probably seeing on a weekend in January. Well, oh, maybe not.
3: You know, well, it, it's uh, ratings are an interesting thing. I mean, it, they really have so much more to do with the the platform, the lead-in, the you know. I think that there's a difference between ratings and impact. All right, and stop talking
1: we'll, for a second. So either he's, he's well. making it easier for ESPN here when he gives me the news, or <laughs> no. the numbers weren't as good as he wanted, so he's setting it up to go that way. Oh, either way, he's going somewhere with No, no, is. no. They, <laughs> were,
3: they were exactly what we wanted and expected, and they were 30% higher. As yeah! We, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold you on. know, Hold on. Because there, there are realities. I just don't like to douse enthusiasm. I mean, they were 30% higher than what FS1 had in any weeknight in March last year, ah, there you go. so yeah. so bowling, you know, bowling performing for FS1 in their investment in the, now FS1's overall ratings are not the same as ESPN. I don't care, but if ESPN has a set number that's already watched when you're watching the NFL Countdown show right on Sunday afternoon and it has almost two million viewers, and, and you the held next a, show.
1: and you held a million, we held pretty well against and the and when,
3: when you have that. Um, you know the numbers would look, you know, dip higher there than what you would see each time on FS1. Not higher than when we we're on Fox. We've been on Fox three or four times this year, and we'll be again two more times. They those numbers are higher than anything we did on on ESPN. But
1: the difference is, but
3: FS1. It, but the difference is every night, energy from the fans, social media buzz, love. They they love it. Right. When you're watching the when you're watching a tape show three four weeks after it, it was done, the, the hardcore fans have a hard time loving it. Even if the numbers higher because of the almost like drive by viewership. Sure. So you have to analyze things in,
1: in different ways. Okay, I'll analyze it in my way then. Okay. So this is how I analyze it. I analyze it in this way. Number one, it was the best thing I've seen. Like Across the board, night in, night out, night in, even when it was a train wreck on different patterns on a certain lane, <laughs> left lane, whatever it was, it was still entertaining. Mm-hmm. And like you said, and I wasn't there during qualifying and all that other stuff, but just watching on TV, crowd seemed to be pretty into it. So that was good. But to me, the difference is, is you're 30% higher than any other show or whatever else had MFS One. All I care about, I don't really care about ESPN at this point, they're done. All I care about is making sure this relationship stays good, yeah. and continues to grow going into next season. Because in my brain, I'm thinking, look, if we exceed expectations, that should make things a lot easier and better to go out there and sell this damn thing, get more sponsorship money, yeah. increase player pool money. So for me, I'm just worried about making sure they're good with what you we, all we are proved, doing.
3: We proved this week that we can do that. Yes. You know, we we can go live every night, and it can and the numbers went up every day. Yep. And, and so – I remember when we signed the deal with Fox in Los Angeles at their office, one of the top executives said to me, you know, we've got a week in March where our primetime schedule could use a lift. And it's after their coverage of the uh, conference basketball tournaments. Like They they cover the Big East. Marquette, you know, when Rob Stone was at Madison Square Garden the day before he came to Detroit to cover the the World Series of Bowling. And that week, they said, was open. And we talked about it, and I said, well, I've always – pitched to ESPN the opportunity to go live with the entire World Series of Bowling. They could never make it happen. This is what we can do. They, they said it, they, they snapped their fingers and said, we're in. So then to actually pull it off, and have everybody be excited about it. Got a great note from Fox, the top level executive at Fox, this week after Belmo won the World Championship, saying, "What incredible drama!" with exclamation yep. points. Oh, I never Triff got that. From, I, 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 awesome. did, I never did get that from John Skipper at ESPN. No. I'll tell you, right <laughs> <now>. but <laughs> but uh, and we provided plenty of drama for ESPN. Mm-hmm. But uh, but so it, it's really exciting to show them what we can do, and we're doing similar stunts with the PBA League coming up. Uh, past years we had to tape all that and that's that's got an electric atmosphere this year it's all live consecutive nights prime time on fs1 and so we'll keep doing things like this and more and more people will become accustomed to it when you do anything for the first time you know you you got to build
1: you have sure so what about from a production standpoint uh as far as because you're working with all new production people for the most part right no when you're out there with fox or whatever else that's
3: that's another that's another thing that a lot of people uh, think, and, and I and I hear that a lot, and I, I kind of laugh about it with our crew because it's the same producer, the same director, the same top cameraman. But,
1: oh, really? So you even brought the cameraman. That, the other stuff I knew were the it's majority of your truck. guys. Really? It's our same truck.
3: Really? It's all the same people. What Fox has done with their support is their top uh, producers have not only provided notes off of every show and past shows to help us improve, but and, and not... And not notes to say, don't advertise this way. Don't show this ad. Right. Don't. That's all we got really from ESPN in the, in the, in the, at the end of the of the rope there. But from Fox, it's how to make it more compelling. Now, Rob Stone is an un, un, undeniably, you know, one of the best broadcasters in sports today. Agreed. Having him on the shows is a big improvement. They've they've invested in slow motion cameras that you see. Mm-hmm. That yep. just those yep. little touches. Make you feel so, make it feel so much bigger. They invested in coming out to one of our first events and filming hero shots with our best players in front of Fox signs. Right. And when they use that stuff, it it lifts the show. They invested in something we always wanted to do with Specto and Kegel to have that strike track, which is awesome. We we've wanted to do that for for ten years, and and we just couldn't afford it. Fox said, "How much? Well, let's you work to together. Let's right. build it." We built it together. It took a long time, but we made it. And you see, and it just adds to the show. So they have supported us, the same crew. I mean, the same people, all the same guys. I love those guys. I mean, they deserved a shot to have that kind of support and be out there for this first year on Fox. And they've all done a tremendous job.
1: Yeah, it is unbelievable. It's good stuff. I want to come back and I want to talk about how the players are reacting to all of this because from a schedule-wise, it's changed a little bit for the players as well. And this last week. We said last Sunday on the Castle Lane Spare Time Bowling Show that whoever is on TV, after all the bowling they did the previous week, and then all the bowling that day, and then having a bowl at night for that, just to be there, it was a big accomplishment as far as we're concerned. And I'll let Phil and Dwight maybe talk in the next segment. To say too <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> That's the late spare time bowling show, only on 1057 FM. The fan, Jeff Regals of 11thFrame.com, has a piece up explaining to all of you. And I want to argue about who the greatest bowler of all time is, why it truly is Jason Belmonte. And there's a reference to a bowler from Milwaukee in the piece. Go check that out uh, from Jeff Regals at 11thFrame.com. Uh, Tom Clark, commissioner of the PBA uh, in studio. We were talking about in the break that we didn't bring up uh, before the break. And I brought up to him. He's like, yeah, oh, we should probably bring that up is those replays on Fox Sports 1 yeah. is really getting a lot of people to watch that may not have seen it on the weekend or may not have seen it the previous night uh, during the week.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I appreciate you bringing that up because that that is another piece of the overall puzzle that is a incredible improvement in being with Fox. And, uh, and so the way that they actually do the ratings is cumulative for every show. We were talking previously about original airing. Uh, live airing numbers. But when you add up the numbers for all of the re-airs, which is at least 10 per show, and then you know hundreds more on regional sports networks uh, that Fox has, um, the the numbers have already tripled the total audience last year. So you have more and more people seeing us, even if it isn't at that original airtime uh, every time, it's it's uh, it's really, and like you said, it, it serves as a promotion continuously you, be, you, you become more familiar with the star players so that when they show back up on on programs you, you feel more connected to them and have a rooting interest so yeah those replays are another one of the big pluses what about the players now
1: how how did they adjust to this new world series of bowling schedule and how it all played out
3: well the world series was actually a very similar schedule to what we've had in the past other than stretching out each day uh, in the second week to to culminate with a live show. One big difference was the live coverage on Flow Bowling, which Phil covered, uh, of the match play on the same day as Mm -hmm. the show. So you could watch on our digital partner, Flow Bowling, the match play elimination rounds and find out during the day who was going to be on that evening's telecast. And I think everybody really enjoyed that. I think people, including the players, uh, like, you know, a little bit more of a grind, but there wasn't that one-day or three or four days off before a show, it was an immediate and still in that competition mode and, and moving into the show. But the players, uh, you know, they've had more travel to do more consistent travel to do this year. Um, there's probably uh, more intensity on the lanes. There's more pressure because of our playoff points list to be in the top 24 because our biggest prize of the year, a hundred thousand dollar first place prizes is, is at the PBA playoffs and you've got to be in it to win it, you know? So, They're battling all year for those points. I think that because of all the things we've already talked about, the increased uh, attention on the PBA and the shows being more electric, you have more people wanting to be a part of it. And so they're fighting as much and and prepared even more for the season than they had in the past. So it's tougher. You know, I think the lane conditions have really varied week to week and they've been uh, tricky. And uh, there's been no like easy passes really for anyone. They've all had to overcome and bowl in so many different ways, uh, including dual pattern events and multi-pattern events like the World Series. And the game consist- uh, constantly evolves. So it is a mental and physical grind this year that they really have never had bef- uh, in the last 10 years. And so uh, it's been interesting to see who has gone to the top. It's Pretty predictable when you look mm. at the list. I mean,
1: the greats—the greats figure out a way. Yeah, it is uh, at a whole different level. And live events wise, you guys have way more live events than you've had in the past. Obviously, just even just based on this week alone.
3: Oh yeah, it's not even uh, close. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, by f- almost four or five times in recent years the the live events and and they're, they're, undeniably for our core audience and for the players and for the people who love bowling that that uh, improves uh, the product. And it improves the intensity and excitement of an, of an event. I mean, when you're talking about wider audiences, I mean, once again, those replays are getting great ratings and, and they aren't live. Right. You know? And and we've gotten great ratings on tape shows in the past. And um, and so there's a wide audience of people who just enjoy watching bowling when they're passing through flipping channels. And they don't really care if it's live or taped. And, uh, and that makes our programming valuable to our partners because... Uh, it's kind of like evergreen programming. It, it, it's not like some other events that might have more widespread media coverage, where you don't want you're not going to watch that Marquette game again, where they lost no. in the NCAA tournament. Nope. They're not going to air it ten more times. No, nope. uh, you know. So, you know. But with bowling, uh, you're going to watch you, people. People will catch it on different times and will watch that show. So we we, we kind of fit both
1: a, a live sport and as an evergreen. From a live event perspective, uh, I'm assuming. And I'm assuming that I mean it will be right. I'm assuming sponsorship money will be up next year and you'll have more money in the coffers based on all the numbers you're going to have from this year. And they're also in bed helping to sell this, which is the best part of the whole deal, I think. Yep. Um, so I love that. But are you kind of capped as far as what you think, how many live shows you can have in a year right now? Or do you think that can expand even further depending on the money that you have? Oh,
3: he, he can go further. We're We're incredibly flexible. We're able to schedule events, uh, you know, anytime. We our players, uh, you know, from a phys- physical standpoint, are able to withstand a full year of of bowling uh, every week. You know, I mean, of course, people want to take weeks off, but we can do more events, and we can we can fill any uh, desire of any kind of uh, media partner to have programming. Um, that's another thing that makes bowling really really attractive.
2: Now, along those lines, we've had a couple of tournaments this year, Jonesboro and Lubbock that made their way up to a full Fox yeah. FS1 telecast. Uh, are there other proprietors out there that are looking to jump on board with hosting PBA tour events? Is that a, you know part of this whole snowball of everything coming along?
3: Yes. We've uh, gotten some more notes this year than in previous years, people wanting to host, and people really jazzed about the PBA. And we have figured out ways to fit into any size bowling center to bring events there, so you know where there's a will, there's a way with any any host, and when that's the other thing about Fox that you mentioned, Sparky, about the fact that their sales team is selling into our shows, unlike the relationship previously where it was on us to sell Everything. all sponsorship and advertising and and that's completely different now when I, and I, I still stay in touch with Fox sales almost every day and you know kind of pushing them almost like a jockey, you know and and I always ask, you know, okay, what can we do? And the consistent answer is. Do great shows, get great buzz. We'll sell it, you know. And and I think that you're seeing that. Yes, of course, it's going to take a year for them to get it all under their belt and say, look, here's what you're going to get when you sponsor the PBA, and here's the buzz it creates, and here are the numbers and the number and the eyeballs and the types of people watching. They'll have that entire day, all that data available after this season, and we're really counting on uh, next year being big from a sponsorship standpoint.
1: From a proprietor standpoint that Phil just brought up, uh, that wants to get the PBA tour in or whatever else, is it a stupid number that they have to come up with in order to get you in their house to do it? Or how does that all work? No, it's not a, it's not a stupid number. I mean, well, you know, I mean it's, I, I'm just asking. I don't know. Because you know, I mean, there might be proprietors listening right now, being like, yeah, hell yeah, that'd be cool to have a PBA event in Milwaukee. Yeah, and no, then-
3: it's a number that we feel like is uh, an exact uh Win-win for everybody, where we feel like, yes, there's an investment they have to make. They have to give up their center. You know, When we're in Thunder Bowl and and Phil brought up the huge crowds during qualifying on a Tuesday night, well, normally they have a A huge league. league on Tuesday night. So that league has to be told, you're off that week. That revenue for that week is gone from the bowling center. So they have to give up some revenue that they normally would have. They have to pay. So there's an investment on their behalf. But they also, Do they have
1: to find sponsorships as well? They can. They, well, it's up to them. In order to fund the money that they have to pay, your sick.
3: And also, they make money back on pro-ams. So any pro-am money goes back to the host. Okay. They make that all back. They make all the money back on gate in almost every one of our relationships. So when they charge people to come... Every
1: night, like to the do they set the ticket price or do you? They they set the ticket price, so each proprietor can set whatever right. ticket price they want. Right. 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 See, I'm learning stuff here. So you okay. can make
3: your money back by tickets, by proams, by local advertising on the lanes. Food and drink, f- food yeah. and beverage, and uh, and also the number one benefit of hosting the PBA is now th- now Thunder bowl. How could you, if you were in Detroit and you're a bowler, how would you mm-hmm. not want to bowl a Thunder bowl? Right. You know, you're right about that. Or you if know, you're into Detroit to go see it, yeah.
2: Right. And it's pretty interesting as well because Lubbock moved their stop up from what used to be an extra frame stop to a full Fox Sports One tour stop. They are so invested in it that they're kicking off the USBC Cup part of the uh, PBA Tour in June with another national tour stop. They're so invested in Lubbock that they're having yeah. two stops a year. Uh, it's, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's the best – uh, pr-
3: usually the, the, the proprietors I consider the best, the ones who really respect the sport of the game, the sport, and uh, the people that respect the history. I mean, we, we've we had great relationships with great places. Like, even just this year, Indianapolis, Woodland Bowl. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the, the general manager there just went in the PBA Hall of Fame this year. The uh, – you know, we, we went back to Riviera Lanes in, in Akron, Ohio, the, the – classic home of the of the tournament of champions and those types of venues actually make every event even better And then you have someone like Jonesboro and someone like Lubbock who say we want to be in that conversation as one of the best bowling centers For so.
1: people that go to a bowling event that have never been to a bowling event before whether they they travel down to Illinois for a bowling event or Indianapolis or whatever, what is the situation like for kids that want to get autographs or whatever the case may be? Are there autograph signings? Is it catch them in between walking between lanes? How does that work?
3: It's both. It's both. I mean, the pro-am the best place to get them and bowl with bowl with the bowl pros with them, right. and get their autographs. That's when I got Earl Anthony's autograph when I was a kid. Nice. You know, it was when I was 12 right. or 13 bowling in a pro-am. And, and um, you know, it, it's uh, it's incredible the amount of time that our – that our players will spend with the fans, taking pictures. You know, I, I always talk about people like Norm Duke. I, when you think of Norm Duke, and he's been a PBA bowler since he was 18 years old. In 1983, he won his first title. And he's been out there for, let's from 83 to, till now, what's that, 40 years? Long time. For, whatever it is. And, uh, and week to week to week, and signing every single autograph every day. How many athletes have a career? That goes from the age 18 to 55. Nope. Yeah. And and are signing I mean, I th- I wouldn't be surprised if Norm Duke has signed more autographs mm-hmm. than any athlete in the history of sports. And you could say the same about a Pete Weber or something. It's it's really incredible.
2: I was in a restaurant in Detroit watching one of the shows. Norm comes in, sits down at another table, and three or four people came up to ask him for autographs after he, you know before his meal got there. Norm took the time, signed for everybody, talked to him a little bit. It was great. Here he is in the middle, you know, middle of Allen Park, Michigan, a restaurant. He's
3: of course, of course, the new thing t- today is is not autographs; it's selfies. You'd rather right. have a selfie. Selfies. And I remember when Norm won this year. Um, uh, just on a whim, I, on my Facebook page, I said, well, "It feels like Norm Duke Day when you look at all the people who are posting photos of themselves with Norm Duke that they've taken through the years." And it's amazing. There were just thousands of people that had a picture. Of, Here's me with Norm Duke. And uh, so our players are really accessible. When you come watch an event, you're so close to the action. And you can feel it, and you can hear it, the power uh, that these players have. It's different. When you know when we go into a new place, that's the first thing I say to the bowling centers. You're going to hear a sound in here that you've never heard before. <laughs> you know the, the, the sound of these pins being hit by balls coming in at incredible angles and speed. Uh, that, that you've never seen before. And it's just a lot of fun to be there.
4: This week affected me so much, Tom, that on Thursday night, as honest to God's true, Sparky, I had a dream from watching the shows all week that I bowled Norm Duke in my dream. <laughs> so I woke up Friday morning with that memory of bowling Norm Duke Amazing. just from watching all the shows all week. Did you lose
1: again? <laughs> um, I didn't get to that point. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Probably. Probably.
1: <All> right, <laughs> Phil Brillo over there. Dwight Albert over here uh, from the Spare Time Pro Shop in New Berlin. The commissioner of the PBA Tour. Tom Clark in studio. We'll talk about the World Series of Bowling coming up next. <laughs> Castle Aids Spare Time Bowling Show only on 105.7 FM. The Fan. You haven't signed up for your spring and summer's league yet. Uh, summer league at Castle Aids and Racine. Make sure to do so. Doubles league, one hour is all it requires of you. You get to pick your night: Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. The winner gets a couple hundred dollars cash plus uh, any choice of a current storm bowling ball. And for being in the league, you get a three-ball storm bowling bag. Or a high-five bowling jersey, your choice. And, again, it's a one-hour time commitment. Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday night. Uh, Phil Anko just doing it right down at Castle Lanes. Okay, so uh, let's talk a little bit about the World Series of Bowling. First things first, let's talk about the format that y'all had to do. So yep. talk about how the format uh Came together because Phil had me all excited last week <laughs> to start, and, and then he just crushed yeah, me right. after the start. I was right. like, "Oh, finally, we're going back to what I want." Uh, well, you but got a little bit. Of it. it was a combo uh, <laughs> yeah. of, of what it was. So go ahead, Tom, explain.
3: Yeah, that's it's actually interesting. And this one is, you know, once occasionally I'll make an error, believe it or not. Right. <laughs> I'll make a lot of them. So when we first, when I kind of came up with that format that you love, Sparky, and used it back in 2011 where it was all four of the finalists bowling at once with the low score being eliminated, get it to three, then the low score, then get it to the final two so you could kind of watch the champion throughout the the show. And
1: Storm dominated that World Series. They just dominated it. And And they did pretty good
4: again.
3: Yeah, (laughs) Well, and and I I liked that format. I wanted to bring it back, and um, it was all scheduled that way. And then oh, man, it I'm was all scheduled that way. way and then, uh, oh. and then I I looked at the thing and I said, I can't believe this, but back then they were 90-minute shows, and I, for some reason I remembered them as two-hour shows. Right. So we had 30 minutes to fill. So I needed another game. So we, so I sat there and was racking my brain a week before. I mean, a few days before the shows to come up with. And I have to tell you. I think this one way that we used is better. Yeah. I mean, and it was yes. awesome because yeah. you had all four and you kind of had an opportunity to introduce each Everybody. player yep. in that first game. It was fast-paced. You yeah. got to, you kind of got to pick your favorite as they bowled that first game. That It was incredibly important. It wasn't just a survival game. It was. I want to be the top seed, and rest. so I can only so I can rest, wait for the championship yep. match. It, it meant a lot of money to that match. Meant a lot of guaranteed money for each player because it yep. based it created their seating, and then you got to watch the traditional stepladder all in one show. So because of my goof, we actually uh, ended up with I think uh, something that we could probably revisit because it's pretty cool.
4: I thought it was brilliant, um, and I thought it was right away. But how did the pros like it? How did the pros like it? Did they give you any feedback?
3: Well, at first I heard a couple of people uh, who I think were a little bit misguided. You know, they were saying, well, what about the seedings in the qualifying rounds? So why do we have to reseed? Well, the seedings in the qualifying rounds were meant to decide the bracket. So if you're the number one seed, in the qualifying round, you bowled number 16 in the first round. That was your advantage for being the number one seed. Correct. After that, it's all it's all even when you get to that final four. So I think that was a misguided criticism. Um, but after, other than that, I think they all loved it because it gave them an opportunity to test bowling balls. It That's gave right. them an opportunity right. to get used to the lights. I mean, for a lot of players, being on TV is not a normal yep. occurrence. So being on there and then a and, warm up. and not a loss. I mean you weren't. I mean you weren't going to be eliminated. Yes. Whereas if it's a one game and you lo- you bowl bad and you're gone. There's more finality. So I think that ultimately the players actually uh, liked it. It didn't. I was a little concerned about maybe having four at once would would create so much traffic on the lanes that that the, the pattern would get wrecked by the end of the show, and that really didn't happen.
2: Yeah, I was thinking when I first saw him, I was thinking, okay, some guy's getting a second chance to win here compared to the old format. It's like, you try it. I mean, Chris Prather tested, what, six bowling balls during that one game? That one game. It was insane. But that part led to him getting through that whole entire show. Right. So it's neat. Once you see it in action, I was a doubter at first. I'm like, oh, I wanted to see the same thing Sparky did. Once you see it in action, you you realize what these guys are doing and how quickly they adapted to the strategy of that match. That's what really made it interesting for me. That's for a, what I really yeah, enjoyed. For a viewer, you pick it, actually picked it up pretty quick. I picked it up pretty quick. I'm like,
4: okay, I
1: like this. This is good. You know. Even Stone and Peterson realized as quickly as it was going, they weren't probably going to be able to do it the traditional way, that they were just going to have to kind of go with it a little bit differently as far as how they were going to call it because it was going so quick, like you said. I thought it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. I, I really did. I, obviously, I was heartbroken at first last week. <laughs> but I you thought bought I it. into it real quick. Yeah, but yeah. Then now now he tells me I was going to have my own way. <laughs> and he got the time wrong. Um, <laughs> no, still, I'm a little heartbroken. But that I, I don't know, man. I thought it was awesome. I, and again, you know, the one thing that we've talked about on this show, and I'm sure you would agree with, the way these TV shows have played out for the most part, have been unbelievable for you guys. I mean, the drama that goes along with these TV shows yes. and what you've gotten out of. See, I mean, literally. I mean, I. On the I edge don't know, of your seat. I can't. I don't know how many shows that you would say. Well, that really wasn't all that entertaining. It was a bunch of blowouts. See, that that really hadn't happened. I mean, even the Belmo match uh, on Thursday, Buttriff just runs out the last yes. six to make it interesting for Belmont. and then yeah. Belmonte's got the drama there in the tenth. You couldn't have scripted it any better. Yes.
3: Uh, yeah, and that arena is really an unusual place to play, and um, and uh, but it adds a lot of drama because you never really feel safe. There's like you feel like there's a chance to be snake bitten at any point. You can throw a pretty good shot and leave a seven ten, you know. You can throw a look at Chris Prather; he threw yes. a pretty good shot and left yeah. a four ten, uh, right? You know, and and yeah. you see kind of really interesting things happen. Uh, in that arena, which kept you on the edge of your seat. But you know what? Pro bowling has always done that. And one-game matches featuring the best players fighting on the types of conditions we put out. We've always had uh, great shows, great matches, great drama. Uh, But when you pile it on night after night after night with different looks and different players, it becomes even greater.
4: We were at Texas Roadhouse uh, Wednesday night with Chris Prather match. We asked them to put it on there. They did, which I thought was pretty cool. All right. Okay. So of course I'm watching it glued to the set. Chris Pater leaves that pocket Ford ten, and I scream out, "What!" Oh
0: my god! And
4: and so I got yelled at by my wife. You should have. We're in a restaurant. (laughs) Shut up. Oh, my God. I and, of course, they didn't have the know. audio, and I, I watched it back later, and right. he says, what
1: was that? Yeah. What yeah. was that? You yeah. know? Right. So I, what I added, that? Said, right. What is that? He said, what is that? What is that? About five times. What is that? Add, right?
2: <laughs> it's a 4 no,
1: Well You had that, <laughs> and then you had Buttruth on the other show leaving a 5-6? Yeah. Yeah. Oof. That during, was, were the pins uh, moved? That was during, almost
3: a controversy. Yeah, yeah during yeah. the
2: World Championship match play, EJ Tackett left a pocket 9-10.
3: Right? Yeah. EJ, I've seen him. I have seen EJ Tackett this year. I I actually went up to him and talked to him for a while at the end of the at the end of the week, because not just at the World Series, but at the TOC as well and, and a few other tournaments, I've seen him leave things that were just incredible. His ball must mm-hmm. be entering it in, in directions that the pins have never seen before because <laughs> he he seems to leave things in yep. at times that I can't understand how a pin could stand, yep. and yet they, they stand up. And it's happening to him a lot this year. It could just be bad luck, but he's bold. And he's had a great year, uh, clearly. He's in the top five in points. Or number two in points, but he uh, he could
1: be higher. <laughs> you know, I can't think of the player, and I'm sure you'll be able to tell me or fill in Dwight can, Um, but I remember talking about it on this show earlier this year, and there was a TV show. And they, the bowler had relayed that a conversation with you kind of got this bowler kind of back on track, uh, and he had a really good week, and that mentally you kind of got him fixed mentally a little bit. Do you know who I'm talking Dick to? Dick Allen. Yeah, Allen, Dick, yeah. Dick Allen, right.
3: he's won two tournaments this year. Not, not, not. Right. Nah, hold on. So, so. what I, was that uh, conversation?
1: <laughs> right. So, wait. I mean, look. I mean, because again, from a guy that does sports talk radio, I mean, we talk about all the commissioners of different sports. You don't hear about Roger Goodell fixed right. this dude. Now he won MVP. <laughs> I mean, it just not happen. It does not happen in other sports, uh, right? And, and here he is, the commissioner of the tour. He. The, the reason it triggered my memory was you talking about walking up and talking to EJ Tackett. Yeah. So you have a lot of conversations with these guys throughout the week, then. And obviously, in Dick Allen's case, it, it, it really changed him.
3: <laughs> well, I didn't know. I didn't know it would change him that that he would put that much weight on it, you know? and But, uh, you know, with with Dick, I've always been really kind of fond of him. He's a really interesting character, mm-hmm. and uh, he really tries. He's really a, a, somebody I like to watch bowl as well. But but really with him, I, I just have always had a conversation with him about the fact that anything is possible. You know, don't don't ever think that something's impossible in in anything, and including sports especially. And uh, I don't know if before the year he thought it would be possible for him to win two. T- titles this year. I mean, I, what he said when he won, I think what he said was, I didn't think I'd win two. I never thought I'd win one in the first place. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, you, you just have to have an open mind to be great at this game. And um, it, it's a mental, This the number one thing I've learned through all these years of watching the best players perform, is that the most important thing is focus. And if you're able to maintain a focus with all the noise going on around you, um, it is uh it's a talent that is way underrated. So
4: he uh, con- considers himself the typical house bowler. And they yeah. said that several times on the show. So um, I got a new nickname for him after watching him at the World Series of Bowling. He's Boeing's assassin <laughs> is my nickname for him when he wins. Well, when he gets the, on a show, he's, I think he's
3: seven and one in championship matches. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, when he gets there, and he's uh, when he's in a PBA league team, the team pretty much wins. Uh, yes. He comes through in really clutch, clutch moments because he has focus. When, before yeah. his match, I'll relay this from the World Series this week in, in that event, that first event, we had the crowd going crazy between the breaks. Hometown man Mike J was there, getting the crowd going, and we, I think we were singing "Sweet Caroline." The whole place was just singing along and it was loud and i was watching uh dick allen he was sitting in his chair with his face completely stone-faced staring at the pins (laughs) waiting for five minutes straight for that match to start and he didn't even have one re he didn't move he didn't have a reaction (laughs) and uh and and i I mentioned that to him after when i was handing him the trophy that and he said you know what you gotta have it you gotta have it to be out here
1: It is just crazy. It's good stuff. All right, maybe we'll actually get into some bowling talk of actually what happened on TV, maybe. Remember, Uh, we have two hours. We do have two hours, (laughs) thank God, because we wouldn't have talked about any of the TV show. Uh, Coming up next, we'll talk more about uh, what it all looked like on TV this week at the World Series of Bowling in Detroit. Castle 8 Spare Time Bowling Show, only on 1057FM. The fans, Brewers News here. Uh, Brewers set to acquire shortstop CJ Hinaosa. I think that's how you say it. Uh, From the Giants, uh, Robert Murray uh, and Andrew Baggerly of The Athletic reporting. Milwaukee Mason, Eric Kratz, back to San Francisco in that deal. And I would assume Hinoosa will be in the minors because he was just drafted in 2015. 24 years old, uh, had a late Achilles tear in 2017, uh, and then missed 50 games after testing positive for a drug of abuse for the second time. Oh, wonderful. So we'll see if he ever makes it up to the big leagues. Obviously, they weren't going to keep Krat so they just wanted something for him, and uh, this is what they ended up with. Uh, okay, so uh, opening day, by the way, is Thursday. Can you believe opening day is in March? Whoa, wow. Yeah, that's, that crept up on us. Wow. Thursday. It's insane. Uh, okay, so let's talk a little bit about the World Series uh, of Bowling here, uh, and we'll start off with uh, the Cheetah Championship. So let me tell you, I, I did not have a good week with my t- my my television set and my DVR. So I'll just, as we go through tournaments, I'll tell you what what has occurred. Mm-hmm. You said you're weak. Yep. So Monday night, uh, the Cheetah tournament was on. DVR is recording. Right, we're all set. Everything's good. Well, a Monday night in our house is like all the shows that we watch, and they tend to be on all at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I'm sure this is going to replay. So I go on and I look. I'm like, oh, it's replaying at 10 o'clock. I'm like, perfect. I'll set the DVR at 10 o'clock. I'll stop this one so I don't lose the show, and then I'll just watch the replay. Okay, fine, no big deal. So I stop it. It records the Cheetah Championship at 10 o'clock. It's all good. So now a couple of days later, I'm looking now, mind you, we get like a thousand hours of recording space on this DVR for DirecTV, right? <laughs> so there is a ton of stuff to record. Mm-hmm. So I see multiple cheese championships. I'm like, oh, I don't I don't need both of these. So I, I record, I, I delete one. Oops. I deleted <laughs> the full one and not uh-huh. the 41 minute partial. Uh-huh. So as you can see on my notes, I got through match one for seating, <laughs> and that's pretty much where it starts. So stops. But let's talk about match one quickly here. So in, in match one. The first thing that I had down was after we get through, Rinal 7-10 split in the first frame. Sherman McNeil, uh, both using urethane at that that spot. Uh, 2-8-10 split in the fourth for Sherman. I wrote down, do you like the pace of play? And we talked about that already. We all like the pace of play, yeah. right? For the most part, no issues? Okay. Nope. So Rinal Page makes a ball change there in the fifth, gets a strike. Uh, Sherman misses a 10-pin in the fifth. Dick Allen leaves a 2-10 split. Doesn't get either of them. Uh, there in the fifth, 11-pin lead over McNeil after five. Page then leaves a split in the sixth. I then write, what a mess to watch, yep. because it was uh, a Except messy for deal. Guy. I mean, really, there wasn't anybody uh, really doing much of anything there. Dick Allen Ellen. was the only one, and he ends up with 230, had a handbone there there uh, <laughs> in the ninth. That was the one guy that really stood out through that seating pattern. Yep. My question for Phil and Tom,
4: obviously, they're there seeing it. Why is that arena bay so darn tough? Even Belmos said during the week, boy, this place is tough, quote, it, unquote.
2: It's 30-year-old Brunswick Anvil Lane. It's but it's also friction. the pin carry, too. Well, and it's it's a unique setting because when they originally built that arena, there were only four lanes in it for the back in the days of the National Bowling League in the 1960s. Once that ended, then they expanded it into the 20-lane arena bay. It's kind of built up from the original Base there, you can actually walk underneath those lanes. Yes. You can take in, and, and so it's just over time, it's just beaten up. Wait, it's wait. what did you
3: just say? <laughs> you just—it's—it's it's almost like you they built walk under the lanes. It's like yeah. they built uh if it was the Roman Colosseum, yeah. it'd be like they left the Colosseum there, but they built you know a new stadium on top of it on stilts. Oh my goodness! And, and so it, it's—it uh, it gives an That's interesting wild. there's an interesting base to the new platform in that arena. That, that certainly causes... You know, it really depends what part of the lane you play on on different lanes in that bay. And, of course, we were on 11 and 12 for all the TV shows, so you get to know those two lanes. And and uh, it's kind of like on 11 when you have to play in, there's a, a, a really dramatic impact on the ball's ability to finish, so you have to figure that out. Uh, but on the cheetah, you know, you really didn't see a lot of that because everybody has to play out on right. cheetah. so. There wasn't a lot of that. When we were in the building for the PBA Tour Finals earlier in 2018 in the summer, the scores were huge every game because our patterns were a little softer. You know, They were a little bit more playable and, and didn't demand as much precision uh, and, as much, uh, versati- and as much versatility as these patterns at the World Series did. So the scores were like all through the roof. But... So you can score in there. It's not like you can't. And the pins will go down, you know, in different ways. Right. But depending on your angles, uh, you definitely do see a lot of really interesting things happen with that pin deck and. Th- and the different panels, and for all the reasons that Phil gave.
4: <coughs> so, is there
3: a, like a trapdoor you can get to to actually walk below the yeah. lanes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. There's a yeah. There's a door in the back that you go down. We've all been yeah. down
3: there, it's, and it feels like you're at the Roman. And I take
1: yeah. pictures and post these on <laughs> social media. Like the a first, big
3: basement. The first year, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's old bowling. There's like an old LT forty-eight in the corner that's seen it all. getting <laughs> you know, his know, car. <laughs> and I the <laughs> yeah. I'm well, driving to go there. I'm driving to Detroit now. <laughs> what made this? What made this? <laughs> What made this World Series special is it was the 10th one, and the first one was also at Thunderbolt. Mm-hmm. So that's where the, the event was born. And when we were there 10 years ago for the first World Series of Bowling, I remember taking everybody down there. We even did a feature yep. on that year. We did a feature story during a show about the history down that's there. We brought awesome. Rob Stone down there, and he, and he moved things around. It was kind of like Geraldo checking Al Capron's <laughs> right. vault. You know? yeah. <laughs> what are we going to find down here? Really cool. So it it, it the, the place really – is steeped
1: in Very history. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's good stuff. All right, so uh, seating was set. Uh, it's Allen, Paige, Sherman, and then McNeil, and then match one really wasn't much of a match. Uh, yeah. Sherman just unbelievable. There was a two ninety game. McNeil with one fifty two.
4: Well, obviously, when you have tougher pin carry, you have to have speed and rev rate, and, and Matt McNeil is a shot maker. Um, you know, I, again, Dick Allen considers himself the typical house bowler, but I see it more in Matt McNeil than. Dick Allen, but obviously Sherman had a good look that game, and obviously got with speed and rubber, he got the ball to carry.
2: Now, once again, when you saw McNeil on McNeil on TV on that arena side, his role is so early and strong. Yes, with the way he releases the ball, that it kind of gets him in trouble on the arena side. Where a lot of times over on the over on the main bay, where they did all the qualifying and match play, his ball would push a little bit longer and have a little different reaction. Mm-hmm. So that's. But every single bowler had the fight that they all knew what it was going
3: mm-hmm. in. Well, but Matt made the the final of the world championship right. made the top five and all of the match play, 16 games was in the arena yep. and Matt Bould 300 in right. the arena. So, you know, it also so he depends did have on some success. Though. He had success in that build, in that side of the building. No doubt about it. Just was a different pattern. It was a different pattern right? pattern. right. And also it was on TV. I mean, Matt McNeil is one of the great historians of the PBA. He yeah. remembers every match ever yeah. bowled on TV, really? what ball was used. I mean, it's, he he's like yeah. a he's almost like a We need savant. to get him on the show though. Oh, he could go yeah. on and on and on. And he watched. I mean and he's one of these kids like a lot of us who bowled on his plastic pins while he watched right. the PBA sure. after his youth. And so being on that was his first time ever <laughs> on live, you know, T V as a – as an individual yeah. for a PBA title, and um, he had been on a double show before, but not not exactly the same thing. Sparky said a couple of weeks ago when I asked him what he would do differently to
4: improve the PBA, he talked about the real-life stories of them. Well, you couldn't have a better real-life story of Matt McNeil. They showed him as a police officer, <laughs> and it was a pretty long bit that you did on him. And obviously, he, got, he even got a chance to watch it. You know, while you guys yeah, are playing it, may it have thrown him off a little the bit. spiky hair, right, <laughs> yeah, right. And then the next shot I'm thinking, oh, God, he's just not going to strike. All I right. said was please strike. Please strike, strike. right, please right. Strike. exactly.
3: You, when you bring that up, the, the best backstory that, that really hardcore fans had before this match, the Cheetah, is Kyle Sherman because of the Brad and Kyle show right. on YouTube? Yeah, the YouTube. These kids, Brad Miller and Kyle Sherman, have their own YouTube channel, right. and they have a lot of fans that watch everything they do. Ah, they video yeah. everything, and they work yeah. really hard about it. So you get to know these guys. Yeah. A guy on my team in my league uh, is a fan of those two only because of that YouTube channel that ha- show they have. So he was texting me during the show. Saying, do you think Kyle can do it? He feels like he knows Kyle. That's awesome. And most people don't know who Kyle Sherman is. Now we all do, and he. And Dick Allen won that show, but yeah. Kyle Sherman kind of won that show yeah. because everybody's a fan of Kyle hearts. Sherman now. Yeah. He's got two ninety on TV and yep. and he uh, and he's really a a good kid. Poised. Poised kid. Yeah. yeah. He's somebody to root for and you know, look yep. going forward. Duke
4: really had a great pick with him and called him the Sherman
2: tank. Yeah, yeah, you know, right. on, yeah. On, on, uh, the got, league I wonder here. why
3: Norm's got such a good eye. He, he. Yep. That's somebody who knows. He sees bowling. talent. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you know? He did that
2: with B, Norm did that in the league with B.J. Moore a couple yep. of years ago right. as well, where everybody's going, "Who's B.J. Moore?" Now everybody knows who B.J. Moore is, yep. especially after this. I've never series. blown
3: off anything Norm Dukes ever told yep. me. Let's put it right. that way. <laughs> Before we get to the actual, yeah. you know, the games and everything,
4: yep. there were two things that stood out to me watching all four nights. Number one. Background music. I heard background music through the TV. So we talked weeks about distinctive sounds and noises and distractions, and I picked up that background music. Number two, I loved every night that you guys brought a pro into the booth and and called a game with Randy and, and Rob. I, I like that, and they had... Uh, Three different pros, yep. three different nights.
1: Troop, uh, Duke. Then, uh, Duke, and Barnes. Chris, Chris Barnes. Right. Yep. And Bernie. Yeah. Belmo Bal- was on the uh, Cheetah. Belmo too. He was right. on the Cheetah show. Yeah, yep. Yep. Belmo was in there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so Sherman defeats McNeil, like I said, 290 to 152. Semifinal match, Phil. Sherman over Page, 229 to 204.
2: Once again, I think Page just kind of struggled a little bit. He had to deal with McNeil's leftovers from the urethane. Uh, and I think to just kind of didn't help Page with his carry.
1: For those people that don't understand this and i'm going to go back to dwight here uh, or time whoever wants to answer it but when you got two guys using reactive resins and two guys using urethanes like you did uh, pretty much on this show yep um how d- difficult is that for one or the other is it more difficult for the urethane bowler or is it more difficult for the reactive resin bowler having I, to adjust the urethane well peterson did a great job talking about that what what urethane does and
4: and obviously that's randy's job and he did it brilliantly but I think it's harder with React because React will magnify everything that's out there. So if it's changing the lane conditions, it's going to it's pushing the oil down, it. right? Well, it's going to dry up the heads and push yep. the oil down, and the resin ball r-
3: will read it more and confuse the bowler. I think it just, you agree, yeah. yeah I, well, yeah putting that, putting that puzzle together of what exact ball and drilling to use at the exact moment, based on almost a predictive um, instinct that that the shot's going to change because of what's happening around you is, I, I mean, the difficulty level on that is, is really high. And there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of luck involved even, but one thing we could do better on the show, I still feel like with our, with the blue oil is, is show the carry down because, and I took some pictures this week that I'll I'll put out on social media at some point when I get get a time that, that show the the carry down of blue coming off the urethane shots that's yeah. more it, where it impacts the dry part of the lane on the back end of the lane more yeah. than a reactive resin ball yeah. that, that doesn't really carry down. Yeah. And when you see that and you go, oh, well, that's why the pattern becomes longer yeah. due to the fact that someone's using urethane. But you can't really adjust off of the blue oil. You can't adjust off the tracks. You can only – everybody knows where people are playing when you're at that level. You you. you you, you still have to trust your ball, but it's mostly predicting the next move that the best players do. Yes.
4: The adjustments that they have to make. Um, I became a silver certified coach in 1997. Uh, Palmer uh, was my uh, master instructor, uh, Palmer Falgren. and um, we were in Madison uh, for one of the college finals, and Palmer was actually calling the action that show. Before the show started, I was one of the dignitaries on the side, Just, and and Palmer was obviously in my class for both of those. He sees me in the crowd and he says, come with me. So we go down right before the pins and he goes, look at the lane. And I'm, so I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm I'm not getting any idea what he's trying to pick out. He goes, look at what these resin bowling balls are doing to the lane. You could see a strip of oil and then nothing and a strip of oil and then nothing before it hit the pins. He goes, well, you know what that is, Dwight, don't you? I'm like, no, you know, I'm not an expert here. He goes, well, that's your track flare. So, the flare of the bowling ball was leaving strips of oil, carry down oil, differently on different right. parts of the back end mm-hmm. of the lane. Mm-hmm. That's one of those eye opening things for me.
2: And that's mm-hmm. probably with half the volume of oil then that right. they have now on the PBA Tour to fight all Correct. these different bowling yeah. balls I mean, and everything. You're going
1: back 20 years. Yeah. That's just crazy. All right. So, then Dick Allen uh, comes up in the championship match and uh, disposes of uh, Kyle Sherman uh, to the score of 234 to 195 and the Dick Allen quotes uh, after this on the PBA <laughs> website. Um, I just co- I just focused on keeping it together, not falling apart. When you have a good lead, you don't want to let the bad thoughts creep in or the good thoughts either. Just focus on making the best shot possible. Every frame. Unfortunately, I was able to do that. When I get to TV, I'm hard to beat Allen said it's a matter of getting here. I wish it could be as effective in the qualifying and match play rounds of tournaments. And then I would be here in the finals more often. Uh, End quote, Dick Allen. Uh, So to that point, Tom, and you mentioned it earlier in the show about the focus of what it takes, but it's not only the focus on TV, but it's the focus of that whole grind of 36 games or whatever the case may be to get to that point and keeping your focus throughout.
3: Yeah, well, Dick Allen's just he's tough. I mean, for if you any sports, any sport where you can you can pick out the guys that are just tough and they come through and, and clutch situations he's one of them it's a different challenge all week when you're moving pair to pair and there's a whole sea of bowlers and and the shots completely different on every pair because you're following different people every time and there isn't as much focus on on you or trying to beat one person I mean the the week to lead up to the show is is really not even it's barely similar it's not it's hardly alike at all to the television show so he, I think what you're hearing from him is he likes to be in that arena situation where it's one-on-one and this the challenge is right in front of you and he's going to use that mental toughness uh and ability to to focus in that environment that's different from you know having to wait for more for longer for, for between games or between shots and having to bowl with more people and people to your right and your left that's a different situation completely. See, and that
1: is what i think makes belmonte so good I mean, he mm-hmm. can take that same mental focus that he has probably on a TV show and be able to apply it through all the crap that happens during qualifying going through and be able to keep that focus. Now, you may think right. he's a jerk if you're another bowler or whatever the case may be, but he's acting Talent. every time. It's like he's on TV, and he's trying to get that job done. He's, he's also the thing that Belmo, that
3: I've seen through the years that I very rarely see in any other player, is when he has a bad game, he has bad games during qualifying and he always comes back with like a 280 you know like a crazy score game he just starts stringing strikes on the heels of a bad game so most most people get worried they get nervous they press they you know they 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 don't react very well to a downswing during a round but belmo seems to be able to put shots aside and sh- and put full games aside better than anyone I've ever seen.
2: When we were in Indianapolis, match play, second round of match play, Belmo has a bad game. West gets within, like, 50 pins of him. Belmo then turns around the next game, shoots 300, (laughs) and he's got a 170-pin lead going into the evening block. This week in in World Series and the World Championship match play, (laughs) Belmo has a bad game. First time in 20 games he's got less than 100-pin lead, comes back, shoots 279. Opens it back up to triple digits again. And nobody's close the rest of the way. It's just amazing how he can just separate himself from the field when the guys try to close back in on him.
4: He has a brilliant mind. I, I, another one that can do anything to the ball. I keep remembering the year we had Dell Ballard on. And Dell said, I, I haven't met many people in my life, and Dell met a lot of pro bowlers. And we put him through all these tests, and he's passed all of them. Mm-hmm. there's not anything that Belmo can't do with the ball, including throwing a up like, yep. like Simonson. Yeah, no
1: doubt about it. All right, we'll take a quick timeout. So that is a PDA, the PBA Cheetah Championship. Coming up next, the PBA Chameleon Championship. We'll talk about that next with the commissioner of the PBA Tour, Tom Clark, joins us in studio. Castle 8 spare time bowling show only on 105.7 FM the fan See Sparky Pfeiffer, Phil Bravo full bowling extra frame over there over here is Dwight Albrich spare time pro shop in New Berlin across from me Tom Clark commissioner of the PBA tour he's been in here for the whole show uh, thanks again for him for coming in uh, always can listen to our show on the radio.com app anywhere you may be just make sure to favorite 105.7 FM the fan make sure you have the right one there's one Oh five, seven, the fan in Baltimore. And then we're one Oh five, seven FM, the fan uh, here in Milwaukee. We can use that radio.com app. Uh, okay. So next one up, I got through more of this one. I'll tell you where, what happened on this one as we get through it. <laughs> it's so frustrating. Uh, Chameleon championship. So the seeding happens. Uh, Belmonte Hambone in the fourth, knocks out the 10 late. Uh, Gomez comes back and wins the first seed. Uh, in the 10th, mm-hmm. Andres Gomez, which was nice. Mm-hmm. I wasn't all that concerned for Belmonte at that point watching. Like, okay, he's a two seed, so what? I mean, so he's got to win two matches instead of one. I think he'll be okay. But it was a nice little feather in the cap for Andres Gomez, who, like Tom said earlier, you get that one seed, you're guaranteed X right. amount of dollars. In it. And at that point, yeah, you know, it's for just game. sitting there, if he loses, it's 10 grand.
2: And right. I thought that was the one guy that could put up a fight against Belmonte because Gomez likes to get in and circle it. Mm-hmm. Yes, his ball speed's probably three or four miles an hour slower, than Belmo, but he can get in as far left as Belmo does and still make it work. So I'm thinking you know, it's
1: going to be a heck of a championship match. I already, I was I already had that one penciled in once the roll off was once the mm-hmm. shootout was done. Right. So you had Gomez at 235, Belmonte at 227, Chapman, uh, AJ Chapman uh, at 205 and Ronnie Russell at 179. I forgot about Ronnie Russell. It's been a while mm-hmm. for Ronnie Russell since uh, he's won something. And in fact, the last time he won wasn't it at the World Series of Bowling? It I was in, in the Vegas? chameleon in, at, yep. on the same because I interviewed him. Yeah. What he, he won—that the he made time. the
3: finals in the chameleon at the World Series. I think three times, including the first time we were ever in Detroit. He yep. made the show and bowled against Bill O'Neill for the title, and Bill won his first title at the World Series of Bowling one in the same arena. And then to have Ronnie come back and yeah, we've all been rooting for him because he's a big uh, favorite of all the players and and um, you know and, and so you know having having Ronnie back on a show and he really represented himself well. Uh, having his family there was a really good sign. I think we'll see him again.
2: There was a piece on flow Bowling that was done earlier in the year, uh, one of the feature pieces, and they asked the players who they thought the most overrated bowler was. And this came out right before the Tournament of Champions. And a few guys said Ronnie Russell. Huh. A lot of guys were really political, Go, hey, you can't say that. Different things. And some guys flat out said Ronnie Russell, most overrated bowler. And that kind of lit a fire under his backside. Huh. From February on, it was nice to see Ronnie make a show and fight through everything. I
3: didn't endorse that feature. By the way, I <laughs> you nothing, did not. I, I was. To I, I told Ronnie, yeah, yeah.
2: with being. I, uh, when that, I when it first <laughs> came out, I walked up to Ronnie. I go, Ronnie, I had nothing to do with this, but you're gonna hear about it soon. I had nothing to I do with thought this. Thought those people guys were joking.
3: I couldn't believe somebody would even. I, I would never say that about a fellow competitor, huh. unless it was anonymous, maybe, because mm. I, I'm. I thought they were kidding when they said it, but thinking that Ronnie's the type of guy who can take a joke, but he took it pretty seriously. Yeah. You know, he did. He well, that's good. So, yeah. So you
1: take his motivation and you go, and you end up making a TV show at the end of the day. You know, you use that stuff. I mean, Michael Jordan, all these guys – you hear stuff, criticisms, whatever else. You just put in your back pocket and go. Okay, fine. I'll show you. I'll show you that you're an idiot. And uh, and and he did. And, and that's what happens, you, you right? Know. So the, the most famous split left this entire week was a two four oh, eight ten. Man. Yeah, over and over yeah. and over and over again. Is what and, we made. Saw. and made and made everything. Yeah. time. Yeah, <laughs> pretty Yep. Russell leaves a two four eight ten there. Uh, gets three of the pins in the first, and then decides he's going to make the switch to a reactive resin. Uh, at that point, at that point, Dwight, were you thinking, no, oh, that's a good move"? Yeah, but what stole? Oh, maybe the, not. Yeah, what stole
4: this show was obviously Kyle Troop and his fro and and being in and giving Randy Peterson crap about the cold eight. I'm getting to that. Oh, he's the next one. <laughs> was he
1: this one?
3: No. Yeah, Kyle yep. Troop's we're, in this one. Yeah, like Kyle Troop's shown. in this one. Troop's oh. in
1: this one, right. So then uh, Russell leaves a 2-4-8-10 uh, again in the third on that damn left lane that we all found out to be a problem yeah. uh, and picks it up this time, uh, and everybody goes crazy. Uh, Russell <laughs> then throws way right on the left lane, stamps back for a strike uh, on the in the fifth frame, and I thought Rob Stone going to have a heart attack on some of these balls because <laughs> they were going so close to the gutter, and it was just awesome because – what Stone gives you yes. that I love yeah. is the genuine fan in the booth. Yeah. Like, that guy at home watching, like, oh, my God, he's going to throw a gutter. Yep. Whoop! There it goes <laughs> back. Yep. It's just awesome. Like, I can't yeah. explain to you how good that really is. And I don't know if he realizes it, but the connection that he has with a, just mm-hmm. the casual fan at home, I just think is unmatched at this point.
3: Yeah, he he's really become an, an incredible. He was always great, but he's become, I think, one of the best on TV. I had a long talk with him about just see
1: talking of, to him again now. Well, he's well, changed his not, career. No, not, not trying to help
3: him. I wanted to learn from him. I wanted to know from him how how he got so good. And he said he's he really watches the best. He learned a lot from Gus Johnson. He learned a lot about setting up uh, big moments and sure. hitting those moments and making sure that he's on for those and being the fan. And being someone who's excited about what's happening and, and not faking it and really meaning it and, and making that show up on TV, He's, uh, it's, it's great to be See, involved with him. We can all learn from Rob. I, I, I only
1: learn from Rob. I don't tell him what to do. Rob Stone, when he, was on our, when he was on our show, brought up a comparison that I thought was really, really good. And that was he brought up the WWE, or WWF. Mm-hmm. And he said, look, you could be a guy that nobody remembers or you can be a guy that everybody remembers. Love me, hate me, but you're going to mm-hmm. know my name and you'll know who I am at the end of the day. And that really is that mentality. Applies to sports talk radio, applies to TV, applies to everything. That's, right? why,
3: you, that's why you guys remember Kyle Troop, even though he Correct. was not on this
1: show. Correct. Mm-hmm. But we remember him <laughs> because yep. he, he, he yeah. was in you the booth. Got, you
3: got him on this show. You got him. Yes, he was in the booth. That's He's what we're talking about. about. Oh, he was in the booth. Okay. I he said he was so there. then <laughs>
1: okay. Chapman comes back uh, and throws a hand bone there in the fifth. Stone goes crazy. And then the joke happens, ham bones and afros. <laughs> right. Uh, that was the joke that played yeah. out from Rob Stone. And I thought that was brilliant. It was great. I mean, it was absolutely brilliant. That should be a t shirt with a big old afro on it. I'm telling you, you'd sell a ton. <laughs> uh, then Chapman spares in the sixth, seventh, and eighth, uh, which really killed him because Ronnie Russell at that point had really zeroed in. Uh, Russell, six in a row then uh, there in the ninth. Chapman strikes in the ninth, now down 13, and we got a match. Chapman double, an eight count for 244. Russell needs a striking eight-count to win at that point, leaves a 10-pin, almost a 7-10, not that yep. it mattered, uh, and then Chapman uh, wins uh, to advance over Ronnie Russell, 244-233. to 233. If you Great tell match. me that somebody's going to throw a 233 on TV, I'm going to tell you they're probably going to win in most situations. You Absolutely. just are. I mean, you can't be yeah. – if you're Rodney Russell, you can't be mad at that.
3: You shot two thirty-three and he lost. Whatever. It happens. Chapman was Tuesday's uh, Kyle Sherman. Yeah. You know, I mean, we introduced Kyle Sherman on Monday, and on Tuesday I think we all got to know A.J. Chapman. And these are the young, up-and-coming players that are so solid and so mm-hmm. good
1: and so practiced, and uh, they're, they're exciting to watch. That is the other thing about this tour right now. And we talked about this. All the time. There man. is so much young talent yes. Yep. That it is unbelievable. I remember talking, yep. I think it was EJ Tackett, when we were in Vegas, and he had just come onto the scene and asking him about you know, how the bowling is perceived from college kids and everything else. And he said at that point, there's bowlers better than me, but they don't think there's enough money on tour or whatever else, so they're not coming on tour. They're going to go be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever they're going to be, right? And I was like, man, that that's crazy. And now you fast-forward however many years that's been and you look at all this young talent, mm-hmm. and as you see the prize money on uh, on this show and other shows, and how that's going to grow as sponsorship comes in, there's going to be no bowlers left behind anymore. Those days are done. I think, and hopefully Tom
2: can back me up on this. But the way I'm starting to see fans reacting, kind I of think I think you're going to see bowlers with outside of bowling endorsement deals more of them on their shirts. I mean, you see a couple of guys with it, like Sean Rash. Got T-Mobile on there, okay? right? I think you're going to see a lot more of that coming up with the visibility that's <clears> happened with Fox Sports and Fox Sports One, where these guys are going to be having outside of bowling companies on their jerseys, not just Mongoose
1: and Turbo and Vice and all these other ones. That's what I don't understand. I, I want to talk about these shows, but we only got a half hour left. But what I don't understand is, like, for this entire run, right? So you sign with a ball company as a bowler, right? So I'm Brunswick. I'm Sean Rash. Why wouldn't Brunswick then, if I'm paying you all this money. Why wouldn't they go out and sell sponsorship for the bowlers to make themselves money on top of selling the bowling balls and say, look, you sign with us, you wear our sponsors that go on the jersey. So if Brunswick gets a deal with, say, T-Mobile, T-Mobile is on every Brunswick bowler. And if their Brunswick bowler gets on TV, T-Mobile gets all that FaceTime. That would have been one way for the bowling ball companies to offset the cost of paying these guys and whatever the cost may be. Hmm would not that make that's sense? Actually,
3: an, that's an interesting uh, marketing angle that I've never. I don't know that we've really had that conversation. Because and talked about it from that perspective. I think, I think it's think, very, very difficult to
1: ask one individual to pitch himself.
3: Well, most in 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 other sports, if there's already a, a larger amount of money available or or the expectation of corporate sponsors, they have agents that are doing that for them. An agency will will hire people right out of school in the big sports, in football, baseball, basketball, hockey. But uh, for bowling, that, that isn't there yet. I think that Phil touched on it, and I think that a smart sports agency would hire a Belmo or a next right. a, the next level of PBA players banking on the idea that they get great television time. They're, everybody watching on TV sees them for an extended period of time, close up, unlike most other sports. And as the sport continues to grow, yeah, and are, the jerseys are so – visible and the 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 advertising is so visible and the connection with a player to a brand i mean you know rash is brunswick you know belmo's storm and, and and everybody knows all of those connections in the pba once other companies get involved that they will find a benefit they're missing out right now and we've been saying that for a long time but uh i think the time's coming
4: i think that uh if there's one guy and i'm not a marketing specialist at any point but I'm starting to get on your bandwagon, Sparky, in terms of uh, how Troop is starting to market himself. I think he's one of Rock the Stone most
1: called it out during one of the shows of like you've got to get more of this stuff available for people to buy.
4: That and then also Randy Peterson brought a comment up that he was getting his haircut in Florida, right. and the barber talked about. The fro that, obviously, Kyle Troop. The guy with the big hair, right. Right. But I I think that Troop did a great job, not only in the booth and his insight, but I think he is the most marketable guy right now on that tour. Yeah, him and Belmonte. And that's
1: the one thing now. Belmonte for his talent. Because it was Belmonte and Rash that you wanted because of the rivalry and the dislike and all that stuff that went along with it. Now, Rash hasn't been there as much, but now if Troop can kind of be a semi-regular on TV – if there are weeks where Belmonte takes off, now you can't have them both take off, which we've already seen. But if if one of them is on TV, you're going to have that draw for sure. And you've got all these other young bowlers that also, like you, you were talking about, guys that have their YouTube channel and everything else, that will draw as well. But yeah, Troop has definitely, I think, burst onto the scene for sure more this year than he has had in the past. Right, Tom? Yes. Well, it all...
3: Their ability to make shows and is the most important thing. I mean, For you can sure. be the most entertaining guy and character in the world. If you never make TV. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So Kyle has consistently gotten better. And, you have, and we all remember, he has a great pedigree. His father's one of the great Correct. bowlers ever. He's, at, he's got it in his DNA. And and he's, a, uh, he's another kid who really thinks anything is possible. Good. You know, he'll never give up. And so he's gotten better and added tricks to his game every year. His ball hits as hard as anyone I see out there now. And uh, and he keeps consistently, you know, going for big titles. So I think you're gonna keep seeing him. But his personality, when he comes into a bowling center, everyone wants to be around him. Everyone gets a yep. picture of him. When he was on the show this week, everyone was wearing a an Afro wig, including me, yep, right. For a while, yep. <laughs> You know, so he's a, he's definitely somebody we all we all love. And I, and you're right. Any company would be smart to attach themselves. And, and the outside media follows him. He ends up on Deadspin. Yeah. He ends up on TMZ. TMZ. Uh, you know all the bar stool. I mean, they all get a kick out of out of Kyle Troop, and it's and it's in a it's in a way that isn't deprecating. It's yeah. in a way that's like, wow, yeah. this guy's awesome, right? You know?
4: I like how Rob Stone picked up on high five, trying to get more of his outfits yep, out correct. there, yeah, the that, public with the pants and the match right. and the shirt, and, match, and, yeah.
1: and I'll, I'll give you another one because I tried to talk to Kyle Troop when he was on this show. I don't think he listened to me, but <laughs> I'm telling you, they should make kids' size. Like Kyle Troop jerseys for Halloween. And sell it with a fro, with a fro <laughs> and a bowling jersey. Dude, I'm telling you, they would eat it up. That's people, a great idea. people would buy it up. It's a Halloween costume. People would totally buy it up. I guarantee it. And grown men would probably buy it too. Uh okay, so match three. Belmonte uh light in the third. So he gets ready to take on AJ Chapman here. Two ten split gets a two down twelve. Chapman throws a hand bone there in the fifth. Belmonte double in the fifth, down twenty-two. And then there's the two, four, eight, ten, and the six off of the t break. TV break gets two pins, and they were harping on this the entire week of how difficult it is coming off of that TV commercial break and throwing that next shot. And Troop within the show said, "I always move two boards." I think yep. he said left yep. uh, coming off of the TV break. Is that something that we've heard a lot from other bowlers saying never they automatically that. move coming off a TV break nowadays? Yeah,
3: I, I, I've never really heard that. There's like a, any kind of un written rule, rule that you yeah. better come back ready to move before the shot i just i just think you're just not as fresh and you're not as into the match i i really hate it I, and every time we come back from a break I, I say this is the biggest shot of the match and you have yeah. some people that just are so used to it but a guy like aj chapman's done it once before in his life he's been on right. tv right you know, so here he is and you know and you, you get a little cold standing there you you start thinking more you you look at the scoreboard for four minutes waiting to come back yeah. I mean, four I minutes it, feels know. like a lot, oh, sure folks. It and now you got like the a shot, laptop. and you, you know you've been in. A, you know, so it's tough. It's a hard shot, and I don't know. I, I think you you move based on the idea that not on the lane changing. You're you're moving based on the idea that you will change, right? right. And uh, I don't know that I would do that personally, but it's. Um, I, I, I wish we could format the show so that we didn't have breaks. We do not have breaks in championship matches. Right. We play the whole match straight through because we feel like let's bowl for a title and let's watch all 10 frames unfold. But yeah. in order to make these shows work on TV right now, you have to break in the middle of those matches.
4: And that's why I like the insight so much from the pros. And I that thing the things that you learn that go through their mind and they're actually – talking to you about it when they're in the booth with Randy and Rob.
1: Well, and Phil learns a ton to, tell, to uh, flow bowling. I'm sure right, they, he's they around it every day a,
4: yeah.
2: inside I mean, as well. Geez, during the match play rounds, we had Asku, Stu, yep. Jacob Buttreff. We had all yep. kinds of people talking about what's going on during match. Right. Play.
1: Yep. If you don't have flow bowling, you ought, you ought need to go get it because uh, it, it's, it's good a, stuff. It's great. It's good stuff during the week. Uh, okay, so then 2 uh, two four eight ten he gets a couple of pins. Chapman rebounds with a strike there in the seventh. Belmonte 10 pin spare in the seventh. Now a down only six. Uh, Belmonte light in the eighth. Uh, leaves a 2-8, Spare picks that up. Chapman doubles in the eighth, slow, slows the ball down a mile per hour. Mm. With all due respect, there's no way I could do that. I mean, there's just no chance. There's When, when they showed it, I was like, yeah, there's no way. And if you at home think you can do it, go ahead and try. A lot right. of these bowling houses now show you how fast you're throwing it. Right. Try and bring it down by only a mile per hour yeah, and see luck. how that works. Yeah, And doing that on a house shot's a hell of hell a lot, lot easier. easier. Sure, <laughs> yeah. but still just getting the right. speed down to go only a mile per hour on one shot. Right. You don't get to practice it for 10 shots. No. You do it the next shot. Yep. Yep. That, that's crazy. <laughs> uh, then Chapman, uh, and this is pretty much the match here, leaves a pocket 7-10 split in the ninth. Mm. Nothing he can do and that's the break that yep. Belmonte really was looking for, took it, strikes in the ninth, and that's it. Belmonte leaves a 4-10 split, and that was embarrassing because he walked it out thinking that thing was a strike. Mm-hmm. Right. Remember, yeah. he was walking it out like it's over right here. Uh, and pulled. Then, right. Yeah. Uh, gets one of the two pins, gets 200. Chapman strikes first ball in the 10th, buries the ball, uh, the second ball, leaves the 10 pin, and ends up losing. Needed that double.
2: Yeah, he leaked that one a little to the right when he went back and talked. You could see his ball reps, Jim Callan going. Yeah, he missed a little right and in that center. Doesn't take that Part much. of the center. If you get behind the head pin, you're not getting that ten pin out. If you get behind right. the head pin, just nuts. There's
3: a lot of luck in bo- there's a lot of luck in bowling, and everybody knows it at those last moments in 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 one frame can, where things can go one way or the other. The amount, the difference between a pocket seven ten and a strike is is so small that you mm. you can't even. Hardly explain it, and and that's really what I love about bowling. That's what makes it so exciting. It's not it's not a referee that's going to make a bad call with one with ten seconds left in the game. Right. right. It, it, it's 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 fate. You know. Yep. It's like, and the greatest players
1: know that, and they sort of make luck happen. Yep. Um, but it's um. Oh, we got luck coming up with the championship match <laughs> because Belmonte doubles to start the championship match against Andres Gomez, uh, and then the ten pin. Spare in the third. You talk about skinny jeans or whatever Rob Sell so wants to use. I, I'm not convinced the ball touched the damn pin. Uh, right. wind. The I, wind I, I rewound it. it and I fast-forward rewound. I'm like, I don't think it touched it. It was insane. It was the wind. Yes, yeah. it was insane. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, Gomez gets his first strike in the third, down 11. After six, Belmonte now up 10. Both players have spares up in the 10th. And my DVR stopped recording at the two-hour mark. And that's where it ended for me going into the seventh frame. Isn't that nice?
3: Live sports, you got to go over, man. Yeah, the
1: 30-minute extension. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You're not funny. Uh, Gomez uh, misses the 10-pin late in that match. Belmonte uh, strikes to win, and Belmonte wins another championship. The Chameleon Championship is his. Number 20. Yep, unbelievable. He's just really, really good. Coming up next, we'll move on to the next day of the week in the World Series of Bowling. Stay tuned. That's a late spare time bowling show. I want to seven FM. The fan two hours was simply not long enough. <laughs> <laughs> just wasn't long enough at all. Let's we go have, three. We could have <laughs> we gone my, three. My flight doesn't leave till there's six. No I got time tonight. There's, no, yeah. no, there's nothing. Bucks play this afternoon, and we'll have the uh, picket save Milwaukee probes post postgame show immediately following that Ryan Horvath uh, hosting that show this afternoon. All right, so Scorpio Championship. We're just going to blow through this uh, quickly here. Uh, B.J. Moore ended up being the one-seal seed, uh, Bill O'Neill 215, and the second seed, Prather, 212, and Troop makes the match at 194. Things weren't going well for him, but he, I think he used like three different balls. Six. Uh, six different balls, six seen different he, balls in, in the seeding game? Up,
2: yeah, when they did the update in game two, the, uh, Kimberly talked about six different bowling balls
1: he used. That's crazy. So he was just trying to figure it out. <laughs> right. Then you go to match two, you go to the booth, and there's Chris Barnes wearing the Kyle Troop wig. <laughs> I mean, I... I'm telling you, that is uh, pretty Priceless. good. And I, I wrote down on here, Randy Peterson stunned by Chris yeah. Barnes taking Prather to win it. And I just put ha 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 ha, like he literally was like almost turning red and stuttering <laughs> that the fact that he took Prather, he just couldn't see it. I thought it was brilliant. Uh, uh, and then, as we talked about earlier, I wrote down love Rob Stone calling out high five gear to make uh, yep. more troop stuff. Yep. Uh, so that was really good. Uh, Barnes calls out the left lane being the lane that has to be figured out to win. And the very next ball, Prather leaves a 2-4-8-10. On that lane in the seventh, but picks it up. Rob Stone yelling, "Remember that pickup for Chris Prather," and uh, that came back uh, to be very, very true at that point. Uh, as Prather ends up doubling to in the tenth uh, to win it uh, over Kyle Troop. Uh, match three. Uh, it's Bill O'Neill and Chris Pather. O'Neill through the nose, three, six, seven, ten split, uh, and gets two of the pins for a one ninety there in the tenth frame. Uh, Prather strikes the first ball, needs a double and two pins to win. Second ball strike, nine count uh, to win there. One ninety eight uh, to one ninety. It's just so weird because with O'Neill and then with more in the final match,
2: why they were picking that left yeah. lane? F- I mean, I understand you want oh, the Peterson other guy to have was killing him for. I it. know I you think want-, they want to finish last. Yeah, you think you want to know what you need in a lot of these right. times. You're on tour, you-, you go through it all the time. If you know one lane stuff from the other, so what if you got to finish after the other guy does? Yeah. You know what you need, throw it.
1: It's yeah. just it was so weird that they kept putting pressure on Prather. And the kid didn't fold. No, he did not. Championship match. Now it's B.J. Moore's turn uh, to go against Chris Prey. There, B.J. Moore gets a spare. Then strike on uh, the second frame on the left lane. I write down sign of things to come. Question mark. My very next note is never mind. Ha ha ha. Two eight ten <laughs> split on the left lane in the fourth. against the two of the eight. I mean, seriously, that's what it was though, Tom, wasn't yeah. it? That left lane. That stuff
3: kept popping up. You know, it, the way shots change so fast. I think that before everyone. It, hindsight, you know, the left lane was going to kind of stay bad, but sometimes they think it might come back. You know, it might come right. back to you, and the other lane might turn into the tough one. So, it's not as easy to predict as you might think. But yeah, Tom, sitting in the crowd, obviously mm-hmm.
4: watching it on TV, uh, when that oil broke down and you could see the path both players were taking, could you see that from the stands? You could see Prather was just dropping that ball right over that path every time yeah, to the he, pocket. Well,
3: that's why he's able to. Try six balls and know the reaction. It's not like you or I, where we we needed to throw one ball like ten times before before we knew for a fact that Mm -hmm. some. But he is almost perfect right now.
4: Yes. The way he's been
3: throwing yep. the ball Talent. for like a, a, yep. almost a year. He's been almost yep. perfect in that he knows he's going to execute. Yep. So if he executes, now he knows what his ball reaction is. And I am so all, impressed all with this are, game. B.J. Moore, Bill O'Neill, Chris Prather, I mean, they all throw the ball kind of similarly. Same. Yep. And they're all playing the exact same line, so... It's really tricky. You can see on those spec on those strike track yes. stats that everybody's right yeah, there. It's really
1: good. Uh Prather then leaves a the pocket four ten split in the sixth, which was stupid. I still can't believe that happened. Yep. Uh more strikes in the seventh, now up two. Uh nine count spare in the eighth on the left frame. Prather strikes in the eighth and the ninth on the left. Moore leaves a ten pin in the ninth, picks it up, and my DVR stops.
3: You got to <laughs> learn a lesson, man. DVR set it for a half Going hour
1: into the tenth frame, DVR stopped, shut off. Well, I was so bad. BJ
2: Moore trying to fight the oh, left yeah. lane in the tenth frame. He tried circling him more and he just didn't have the touch. He left a, a 2 two ten, yeah. still made it. And then left uh, left it where Prather needed a mark right. to win. Prather Wait goes a, a little replay. high, yeah. yeah. Four pin, spared it up. There's your winner. Yeah, so there you go.
1: So Prather, there, so Prather uh, wins it there in the tenth. Everybody else saw it. Coming up next, <laughs> we'll talk about the greatest ever, Jason Belmonte in the PBA World Championship. Last segment. You haven't been here for the full two hours. Shame on you. <laughs> All right. So, like the uh, rest of the week for me, this will be an abbreviated version of the last <laughs> segment of the show because we have approximately five minutes left. Okay, so uh, the PBA World Championship, uh, match number one, this was a normal stepladder. Uh, B.J. Moore uh, just left too many splits. Uh, three of them by my count, one, two, four, eight, uh, and 2 two, ten splits. Uh, Buttriff was rolling, including a hand bone there in the sixth. Uh, Buttriff wins match number two. Match number two, Norm Duke uh, is now in the booth. It was always a nice thing, uh, mm-hmm. there. Uh, now it's Buttriff versus Bill O'Neill. Uh, O'Neill gets late messenger for a double in the fourth, but then two eight there in the fifth, picks that up. Buttriff throws a turkey in the fifth, up one after five. We got ourselves a match. Buttriff leaves the seven pin, picks it up in the sixth. Buttriff two strikes and nine count in the tenth for 235. Uh, O'Neill uh, needed, what did he need? At least one strike, I yep, know. Needed right? the first one. Needed the first one, a strike and a spare or something along those lines, and leaves a solid 10 pin on the first ball. Buttroff advances to match number three. Uh, and there's Mr. McNeil again. Uh, opens there in the seventh while Buttroff strikes in the seventh. McNeil down five only after seventh, so it's still a match. McNeil, nine count in the eighth, six pin. And Randy Peterson at that point said that was pretty much it once he left that. Uh, it was pretty much done. Buttriff, however, Len leaves a crazy 5-6. <laughs> Think about that for a second. You hit the pocket, and it's a 5-6, and the both pins moved, but right. they weren't spotted that way, right? They were spotted on their actual marks that they were supposed to be on, or they spotted no, the, the way they the were left.
3: The pin that the pin that wasn't knocked over by the machine stayed in its exact spot. The pin that was knocked over by the machine had to be reset in its original
1: spot, that's so that's I thought, why right. it
3: created a wider
1: split. That's a bad that was a bad break. Bad break, right. So that that was in the eighth. Uh gets just the six pin. Buttrip strikes in the ninth. McNeil, eight spare in the ninth. McNeil then solid seven pin on the first ball in the tenth. Spare strike ball uh on the third one seventy-nine. Buttrip strikes on the first ball, needs eight now to win. Uh leaves uh seven uh and that leaves a seven pin and wins. Now the championship match with four minutes to go approximately in the show. Belmonte, uh, <laughs> well, Turkey. Listen, you're
3: setting up the perfect championship match for the World Yes, that's correct. Because you had the guy that dominated the early part of the year, the guy that's dominated lately, yep. right, left. I mean, this is it. Yep. This yep. is it, man.
1: Belmonte, yep. Turkey to start the match. Then they show the picture of his kids at the school with all the other classmates oh in God. school that's in great. Australia. And then he leaves the 10-pin on the next shot. Uh, picks that up. Up 20 after four. I gotta be honest with you, throughout this match, I kind of felt like Belmonte was just kind of ahead, but Buttroff wouldn't go away. But when he missed the seven pin in the sixth, I'm going, well, that's match. It's done. There's no chance. But he wasn't giving up. He strikes in the seventh, he strikes in the eighth, he strikes in the ninth, he strikes out in the tenth, ends with six in a row to make Belmonte have to do something in the tenth. Need to strike and a spare to win. Of course, he throws that strike in the tenth because he's Jason Belmonte. Uh strikes at the second bowl. Rob Stone yells, he is the greatest. Yeah. And I find it hard to believe anybody can argue. <laughs> My question for you guys is
4: obviously now with that I, I predicted that Belmo's going to have a great World Series. I didn't think he would do what he did. Now does he lock up player of the year honors because of this?
2: Chris Barnes already tweeted he had a tweet last week that said just give it to him.
3: It's done.
1: Well, you look all far how ahead of me. I mean, you
2: can't, obviously. Well, there,
3: but. The, the Masters is, is coming up this week. Yep. The U.S. Open still is there. There's eight other titles. I mean, yeah. if Norm Duke won the Masters in the U.S. Open and plus two right. other titles, yeah, good argument. Anthony Simonson you, won the Players he, Championship. If, yeah. if, if Anthony Simonson wins three majors this year, I mean, so it's not completely over, but I mean, it'd be hard to believe it could happen that anyone else could pass him. But yeah, this yeah, is. Bell, What you see with Bell, I had a good conversation with a friend of mine who's been who's a bowling historian and you know Don Carter was kind of like the original greatest of all time and he had a bent elbow release that really no one copies it looks like he's shoveling the ball down the lane and it looked almost goofy in a way when you look back and then the next time someone really started talking about what revolutionizing the game it was Mark Roth and with a power and I think what we're seeing with Belmo is his elbow is bent like Don Carter because he holds it with two hands, so it's always bent, and yet he has a supercharged bowling ball with power like Mark Roth. So he's like a combination of Don Carter and Mark Roth that that is the most undeniable power we've ever seen, and, he, and combine that with the mental game we've talked right. about. Wow, we're witnessing something.
1: No doubt about it. Uh, and now PBA League gets going, right?
3: Can't wait. It'll be exciting. Well, we got the Masters coming up, and then we have the draft for the PBA League, and that's going to be live on Flow Bowling on April 8th. We'll find out how those teams stack up. And we have the PBA playoffs coming up, too, so everybody's still fighting for position in the playoffs. Um, You know, there's... It seems like we've had an amazing year up till now. It has There's been. a lot to go. It There's has a lot to go. Year. I it's just want to say
4: thank you, Tom, for the job you're doing. Yeah, I right, no appreciate doubt.
3: you guys yeah. every week. I've done a I lo- great job. I listen. appreciate
4: you coming you.
1: in as well. Phil Brilo, Dwight Albrecht, Tom Clark, Commissioner of the PBA Tour. Stay tuned. Great things still to come in the PBA. Have a good day. College basketball show at noon.